You know, the last time I preached, I preached about wearing the proper clothing for every situation. I hope you remember that. The garment of praise when the spirit of heaviness comes on you. And every day we wear the wardrobe of loving action. And then the armor of God when you're in the midst of a spiritual battle. Amen? Those are the things that, that God wants us to wear. And we are to stand firm when the enemy attacks. That's the thing that I told you. Stand firm when he attacks. But today, I want to remind you that there may be times when you need to run away. Flee. And I, I had this picture of uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> Those of you that are familiar with that. Run away! Run away! So anyway, it should have been up there, but if you don't get it, that's fine too. We're going to talk about running away, fleeing today. Hebrews 12.1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. There are sins that cause us to stumble and to fall. Amen? And that they easily entangle our time. They steal away our time. They steal away our focus from the Lord Jesus. And we ought to run away from them. But so many of us, sometimes we decide we're going to stand firm in the midst of one of these sins. And we try to battle it in our own strength and our own power. It's not going to work. God says we need to run away. And we need to know the difference between the two. And the only way we can is by the Holy Spirit within us, giving us that discernment and wisdom to know the difference, when to stand and when to run away. Amen? So these entangling sins that we're talking about are likened to poison ivy. Dave Brannon had this uh, uh, devotion in the daily Bible reading of, uh, in June. Twice this summer, I suffered the scourge of poison ivy. Both times it happened, I was working on clearing away unwanted plant growth from our yard. And both times, I saw the nasty three-leafed enemy lurking nearby. I figured I could get close to it without affecting me. But soon enough, I'd realized I'd been wrong. Instead of getting nearer to my little green nemesis, I should have run the other way. God can help us flee activities and situations that could lead us away from Him, guiding us to run the other way when sin is nearby. And I want us to look at four scriptures this morning and, uh, to tell us, that tell us that we ought to flee, to run away. So the first one, flee youthful lusts. And that's found in 1 Timothy 2.22. If you want to open your Bibles to 1 Timothy 2.22. And this is how it reads. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. In 2 Timothy, Paul is admonishing Timothy to be an unashamed workman. That's, that's his whole theme during the book. He wants him to be a bondservant of Jesus who cleanses himself from all of these things. And he tells him to flee, 
to be a, a fugitive, if you will, from youthful lust. Now, youthful lust, uh, it refers to sensual allurements, sexual kinds of things, but it also talks about expressions of youthful immaturity. Sometimes people that are young are, are very immature. They make wrong choices because of that. But they also exhibit intolerance for certain things. If you have a teenager, you know what that means. They, they, they have an intolerance. They're half-heartedness in doing things. Go throw out the garbage. Okay. You know, that, that's youthful kind of lust. It's unwarranted self-assertions. They, they write checks that they can't pay. They, they try and do things, you know, and not just youth, right? Because <laughs> that, that, that talks to a lot of us, too. We're, we, we run into those youthful lusts. You know, uh, in, uh, the, the, the verb there talks about being a fugitive. A fugitive is someone who is continually on the run from, uh, to avoid capture. And we should be on the run to avoid youthful lusts. In the Old Testament story of Joseph, you remember that, we see modeled a principle of running away some, from something worse than poison ivy, sexual sin. When Joseph was living in the house of Potiphar, his, Potiphar's wife came and tried to seduce him. And what did, what did he do? He ran away. He left his cloak there and he ran away as far as he could. He suffered the consequences of that. Potiphar came back, his wife lied to him, and they threw him into prison. But in all of those things, he remained pure because he ran away when confronted with youthful sexual sin. And the Lord was with him in everything that he did from that point on. This verse tells us not only to run away, but it also says that we're called to run towards the four characteristics of a pure heart. If you look at that verse, in the context of the passage, this is what it means to be an honorable vessel for the Lord. This is how we cleanse ourselves. The first thing is pursue righteousness. We need to faithfully pursue and obey the truth of the scripture. Amen? We need to obey. We need to follow the truth of the, of the scriptures. We need to pursue faith. We need to be loyal to God, to God's word, God's work, and God's people. We need to be fulfilling the mission of our church, right? Love God, love people, and change the world. We need to pursue love. We need to exhibit a selfless self-giving the love of conscious determination, not impulse. Choices over feelings. Not based on the attractiveness or worthiness of the individual, but based on their needs. That's love. And we are to pursue peace. We need to experience serenity in our lives. And serenity is not the absence of warfare, but it's the presence of harmonious relationships. We need to have that in our life that brings harmony to our lives. And that's from being together in a group like this, from reading the word, from praying. All of those things bring that harmony and serenity. And that gives us a pure heart. Those four things make us, give us that pure heart and make us honorable vessels to follow God's plan for our lives. 
So the second passage I want us to look at, it says flee sexual immorality. And that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 through 20. So if you want to turn a few pages behind there, 1 Corinthians 6 and starting in verse 18. And it says this, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. 1 Corinthians tells us that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And a few weeks ago, Pastor Doug reminded us that when we're saved, the Holy Spirit indwells us, and then we are called to be continually be being filled with the Holy Spirit. We cannot live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. Remember that? That's what he said. We can't live it without the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that helps us to know when to stand firm and when to run away. Paul says we're not our own. We've been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus. Therefore, we must glorify God in our bodies, in everything you say and do. And sexual immorality is a sin against our own body. And Paul reminds us that our response to that is run away, to flee. Do we? I... I when I was a young man, I started looking at pornography, and I continued to do that throughout my life, even after I had accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I battled it. I chose not to run away. Instead, I chose to stand firm and try and battle it by myself. I kept it a secret. Nobody knew about it. Nobody else could know what I was doing. It was too embarrassing. It was too personal. It was too intimate. I kept it from everyone, especially my wife. And I continued to have a Romans 7 experience as a result of it. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? And I went through cycles of sin and discouragement. I'd come back to the Lord and ask for forgiveness, and then I'd do it again. And then cycles over and over. Why? Well, let me give you this illustration from cooking. When do you put lobsters or frogs in to cook? Do you put it in when the water is hot? No. You put them in when the water is cold. If you wait until the water is boiling, they'll just keep crawling out. Even if you put a lid on the top of it, they'll, keep, they'll, they'll bait the thing off of there. If you put them in when the water is cold, it gradually gets warmer and it lulls them into peaceful inactivity. Satan does the same with us. With just a little bit something like cold water, he keeps us in there and then he turns up the heat a little at a time. And if we continue to not pay attention, to not run away then pretty soon he's cooked our goose. And we are overcome by the consequences of our sin. 
Run for your life from all of this. That's, that's what Jesus is saying. That's what he's telling you. If you're struggling with some kind of area like pornography, run away. It wasn't until I finally confessed my sin to my wife, my family, my pastors, to a counselor that I saw every week, and I continue to see him every week, uh, it, and, and then from loving brothers who hold me accountable. I've been meeting with someone for uh, every year for the last 15 years to help hold me accountable and to keep me away from sexual immorality. It will defeat you unless you give it over to the Lord, unless you run away. Don't try to do it on your own. Flee immorality, but it's God, it's your choice. You can continue to stay in that cycle of sin and degradation or you can break free. Jesus Christ will give you the freedom that you need to break out of that. You don't have to stay there. And, and God has restored me and cleansed me, and he'll do the same for you if you run away. When we sin, it's futile to try and cover it up. The odor of our disobedience can't be contained. But when we confess our sin and repent of it, he'll remove it and leave the fragrance of his grace and forgiveness. Don't keep it a secret shame. Confess it to others who can hold you accountable and allow the Holy Spirit to restore you completely. Amen? Flee sexual immorality. The third uh, idea that I want you to flee from is flee idolatry. And that's found in 1 Corinthians, a couple of uh, chapters over, 1 Corinthians 10. That's pretty easy just to get there. But I need a drink of water. And starting in verse 11 through 14, this is what it says. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages has come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation is overtaking you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but, will, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. I think in order to understand this, we need to get the context of what chapter 10 is talking about. And he's, he's telling uh, the people to avoid the mistakes that the children of Israel did in the wilderness. That these were given as an example of the mistakes for us to avoid. And in verse 5, he says, with many of them, he was not well pleased. With many of them. They all were in, in the body they were all going towards the promised land, but with many of them, he was displeased. They were stubborn and hard-hearted, just like us. He tells the Corinthians that these stories were for our benefit. They were examples for us to avoid. And, and starting in verse 6, it says, don't crave evil things. That comes from Numbers 11, where the people craved meat and were judged by God for their greed. And then do not be idolatrous. In Exodus 32, 
we see them worshiping the golden calf and, and getting together in sexual immorality and, and worshiping that calf. And we're, we're, it would brought God's judgment on the camp. It says, do not act immorally. Numbers 25, they had sexual relations with Moabite women in worship to Baal of Peor. And God judged them by killing 23,000 people because of sexual immorality. That's a big deal to God. He wants us to understand that we need to avoid that kind of stuff. And it says, do not try the Lord. In Numbers 21, there's the story of the bronze serpent. Moses had, was told by God that they were being attacked by these serpents and people were dying. And, and Moses told, was told to set up a bronze serpent. And anybody who looked at it would be saved from that plague of serpents. And so don't, don't, um, don't try the Lord. And then the last one is don't grumble. In Numbers 16, Korah grumbled against the, the Lord and the ground opened up and swallowed him and all his family in judgment. These are examples written for our instruction. And verse 12 says, let him, if you think you stand, take heed so that you don't fall. Temptation is going to happen. Amen? Amen. Temptation is going to happen. But God will make the way out of temptation. He doesn't say a way out. He says the way out of temptation. We can escape if we follow God's instructions. But we have to follow them. And then he tells them, therefore, flee idolatry. Anything that takes God's first place in our lives can be considered an idol. The sexual sin that I was, that was an idol. It was an addiction. It was something that overtook my life. There, those kinds of things can, the greed that he's talking about, idolatry, the sexual immorality that he talks about as these examples, those are idolatries. All of the examples are encompassed in idolatry. And anything that takes over God's priority and direction in our lives is idolatrous. Another example I found in the Daily Bread this last month. Kyle and Allison had a wonderful honeymoon in an exotic location. When they returned home, however, they discovered that Kyle's feet had developed a strange, itchy rash. The couple was referred to an infectious disease specialist. He informed them that small parasites had burrowed their way into Kyle's feet through blisters called by his new flip-flops. What started out as a dream vacation ended in a challenging battle with unwanted guests. And in Psalm 19, David knew that if he didn't ask for God's help to fight sin, his dream of living a life pleasing the Lord would turn into a battle with unwanted guests of sin and rebellion. And after declaring how God is revealed in the natural world in Psalm 19 and his wisdom is found in his instruction, God, David asked God to protect him from inadvertent, arrogant, and deliberate disobedience. Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins, he wrote. He recognized that he didn't have the human resources to keep the infectious disease of sin from affecting him. So he wisely asked God for help. 
How can we make sure our own dream of living in a way that honors God doesn't become hijacked by sin? Let's keep our eyes on Him, confess and repent of our sin, and seek divine help in keeping unwanted spiritual parasites from burrowing into our lives. Idols are like those unwanted parasites. They're going to try and burrow into your life. Don't stand up against them. Run away. Get as far away from them. Don't keep them secret. Run away. Don't allow even a taste, even a little bit of them to come into your life. When I talked about the full armor of God, uh, verse 12 told us that we battle against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. There is a war going on in the spiritual realm for you and I. Satan wants to destroy us. Satan wants to kill us. Satan wants to make us ineffective. And anything that he can do to take us away from our full focus on Jesus Christ and the ministry that God has given us in this world, Satan is out to do. And, and he is trying to do all of these things. We need to run away. What does idolatry look like in the 21st century? Well, there's a, a statistic that was published in 1998 in The Economist in an article called Superhuman Heroes. A survey of 198 top athletes conducted in 1995 had more than 50% of them stating that they would be willing to take a drug that would help them win every competition in a five-year period, even if they knew it would kill them at the end of five years. That's idolatry. That's the worship of Baal, the god of success. What would you do for the Klondike bar of success? <laughs> Most Americans today don't worship Baal, but when I look at the church in America, I fear that we have our own Baals that demand our worship. Uh, Pastor Doug talked about this, I think it was last week, but I see so many people bowing down before the prosperity theology and the idea that God just wants to make us healthy, wealthy, and happy. That's idolatrous. I see people entrapped by isms, racism, sexism, ageism, classism, and so many others that divide our churches. Choosing first to obey and revere these divisive systems rather than a God who has called us to be reconciled to one another and to be one in Christ Jesus. We surround ourselves with people who are like us and value like-mindedness over genuine love and care for our neighbors. Idolatry. All idols begin by offering great things for a small price. All idols then fail more and more consistently to deliver on their original promises while ratcheting up their demands, which initially seem so reasonable for worship and sacrifice. In the end, they fail completely, even as they make categorical demands. In the memorable phrase of the psychiatrist Jeffrey Satinover, idols ask for more and more while giving less and less until they eventually they demand everything and they give nothing. That's what idols do. Run away. Run away. 
There's so many ways to worship idols today, but we're called to run away. Amen? Amen. Then the last scripture I want to talk about is uh, talking about flee the love of money. Now I'm going to step on some toes here, right? (laughs) Flee the love of money. 1 Timothy again. We're back in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. And this is what it says. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation. We talked about temptation. And a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But... Flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. We live in a materialistic world. It's motivated by greed and envy. And I'd say that the love of money characterizes a majority of the world's population. It has become an idol to those whose focus is making and using money for their own good. This passage says that those who resolve to be rich, who purpose to be rich, who will to be rich, will fall into temptation and a snare. And the tense of the verb that's used there refers to that which always or normally happens. It's a trap! It's a trap! We've already seen that with every temptation, God provides the way out. But we must choose it. You have to choose it. We have to choose it. They fall into foolish or irrational, hurtful and harmful desires or lusts. Those will drag them to the bottom, submerge them or drown them in ruin and destruction. An irretrievable loss. The picture here is is of the total loss of a ship at sea with all hands and all cargo irretrievably lost. That's what the word being used there. It's it's a, a shipwreck. It's going to shipwreck your life. You've got to run away from that kind of money. Now, money is not the root of all evil. Amen? It's the love of money from which all sorts of evil can grow. Longing for it can lead us astray and cause us to wander in the wilderness, never able to reach the promised land. We'll be pierced by many griefs and sorrows. I was watching a show the other day about the uh, gold rush in 1896 in the Yukon and then in 1849 in uh, California. But in the Yukon, A hundred thousand people started out to go to the Yukon to make their fortune. Of those hundred thousand people, only 40,000 actually made it. The other 60,000 turned around somewhere because it was too hard. Going up through the ice and snow, there's that picture of this huge pass that they had to go up, a single file for a mile up and down this path, and people were dying on the, on the side, freezing to death. 
Only 40,000 of them made it to the Yukon gold fields. Of those 40,000 people, they estimated that maybe 4,000 of them actually struck gold, significant amounts of gold. The others lost everything. They were saying, if you were the first one there, you made a fortune. Everybody else after that lost everything. Greed, the love of money caused that. And it's, it plays out over and over in every gold rush and in, in every kind of thing that was happening. Their lives were pierced by many griefs and sorrows. Amen? That's what our life will be like if we try and, and, and allow the love of money to infect our lives. If we would be God's man or women, we must flee. It's an imperative, present, active verb. Don't let it grip your soul, your mind, and your body, but run away. Be content with what you have and receive the blessings of God with thankfulness and joy. And he goes on to command them to pursue to hunt after, to follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. That's what we've been called to do. He says, run away and run towards. Those are the things we need to run towards. When we run away, run towards those things. I, I had this, read this quote in all of life's challenges, I just move forward one baby step at a time. And as I move forward, obstacles receded and answers came forward. When I do nothing, then nothing can be done. That hit me. When I do nothing, nothing can be done. But when I take even one step forward, God steers me to the next. Fix your eyes on Jesus the author and finisher of your faith. So it seems clear that there are times when we need to run away from sins that so easily entangle us, amen? We need to run away from youthful lust, from sexual immorality, from idolatry, and especially the love of money. Don't try to fight them on, the, on your own, but allow the Holy Spirit to continually fill your life with His power so that you can run away. We need to run away. And then we need to run to Jesus. Yes. Amen? Amen? Romans 8, 38 and 39 puts it this way. I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing nor idolatry or sexual immorality or youthful lust or the greed of love of money will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you so much for what you have done in our lives, Father. Thank you, Lord, for uh, teaching us uh, when to stand firm and when to run away, Lord. Help us to run towards you in the midst of all these things, Father, because we know you can do all things and you do all things well, Father. And now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And everyone said, 
Amen. Right, God bless you. Fire. You're welcome.